0: Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for today's SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup for June 30th 2021. I'm your host Marty Bennett and over the next half an hour we're going to be taking a look at three important questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last few days and we'll be sharing our insights as to how the answers to these questions may improve how you do what you do in international education and your thoughts and guidance on where you go with these is always appreciated and we ask you to contribute to the conversation uh, with your thoughts on what is the best approach for your campus to the various issues we talk about. Uh, It's my pleasure to be coming to you today, uh, last day of June, last day of the fiscal year for many of you uh, at your institutions. I know that's always a fun time of year as uh, you're either madly scrambling to spend dollars that you uh, uh, will lose if you don't spend or hoping to get in requests for increases for the upcoming year. And hopefully you're in the position where you're going to have that. Uh, I know it's been an interesting year for everybody over the last... Uh, 15, 16 months uh, dealing with the pandemic and its impact on what we do. And some of what we'll be sharing today will be thoughts related to next steps. How do we move past the pandemic in terms of uh, our promotion of our campuses uh, to overseas students. So for those who are not familiar with the Roundup, uh, what we do here on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern each week is uh, take a deep dive into three questions we hear that are connected to various news stories in international education news, oftentimes overlap with social media news as well, and we put those out on Monday. Uh, it's our newsletter, All the SMIE News Fit to Share, and that stands for Social Media and International Education News. And that comes out Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern. And we take a look at uh, various news stories and give our quick hot takes on what those news stories mean in relation to the bigger international ed questions of the day. And we go deeper in three of those questions here on the roundup on Wednesdays. If you need to subscribe, if you're not already uh, subscribed to the newsletter, uh, you can go to smieconsulting.org slash subscribe and you can sign up there. Uh, It also has an archive of all the past editions of the newsletter. And it will, uh, if you're looking for this week's edition, I'm dropping the link to the most current edition into the comments section on our Facebook page for SMIE Consulting. Uh, That's where you'll get all the news link stories that we discuss here today. And it's also a great way to uh, keep up to date on what's uh, what's being said around the world, but also here at home. So let's uh, jump right into our first question of the day. Are you actively promoting your STEM majors? Now this may seem like a fairly straightforward question and if you've been in international education for more than a minute you know the value of STEM programs. Uh, if you're a bit on the advising side, certainly you deal with this uh, in student services for your current international students when they are uh, applying for OPT after gradu- uh, after they're done with their coursework. Uh, those, If they're in STEM majors, uh, you know that one year initial, two year extension for any student that is graduating with a STEM approved major or STEM listed major and those are the SIP codes that you have that your registrar's files with the Department of Education and those are the official ones that DHS recognizes as STEM approved for uh, that extra two years of work permission so we know that STEM OPT uh, gives students added benefits that the traditional international student does not get and why is that significant well for those uh, that uh, recruit international students and those who are aware of what other countries are doing to promote their countries as destinations, we know what happens in uh, in Australia. There's post-study work opportunity there. We know that what happens in the UK. They've reintroduced a two-year post-study work visa. We know how generous Canada is with its post-study work, even leading into permanent residency. Uh, so it's very much uh, and a a need to compete uh, to provide uh, training for students who finish their degrees here who are looking to potentially uh, pursue careers in those fields. So this is really something that we really want to think about as we go into our stepping back for for a minute and look at our recruitment activities and how our messaging and how we present our institutions, how we present what we want future international students on our campuses to see as to what they can benefit from. Because ultimately, this is the basic 101 admissions uh, picture that we need to be painting for international students. Uh, what it's gonna be like for them to get a degree from our institutions. Not only what it's gonna be like for them to be a student on our campus, but what are those outcomes going to be? What is the potential going to be for them? And that's where the real rubber hits the road in international student recruitment these days because we hear survey after survey about how outcomes matter most to international students, particularly international students' parents if they're coming as undergraduates. So you think about uh, in some countries, it's, it matters more than others. Uh, we know and we will talk, have talked and we'll talk again, I'm sure, including today about uh, examples of how in India, uh, you, they, it's a hypersensitive market to employment-based changes to government policy, rumors of government policies, proposed legislation to government policies uh, that, uh, that impact their choices. And at post-study work, when that was reintroduced in the UK this past year, there was a big jump in Indian interest in, in the UK. Uh, since uh, the pandemic hit with Australia not, being, uh, not allowing international students back in, there's been a real move away from Australia for uh, and dissatisfaction for those that have chosen to study start their studies in Australia online and have had to basically pay it as if they were in person uh, paying the same fees to be able to, to take uh, their Australian university classes on their phones in their home country where uh, potentially service isn't as good and certainly the quality of the product you're getting isn't going to be as good when you're educated on a phone as opposed to in person. So that's, that's a real challenge in certain markets. And uh, with, it's a very can be a very fickle market, but one that certainly values in India the potential for work and we see in india students that come to the u.s uh increasingly are looking uh in fact they 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 make up the greater majority of h-1b uh, visas awarded each year they make up the greater majority of opt uh, applicants each year so the the data is there that certainly supports that uh, for india you must uh focus and and talk about opt talk about Uh, STEM OPT as part of your recruitment pitch to that market and to other markets as well but especially this market which is hypersensitive to that. Uh, China, not so much. We see because of their economy, there, we see many uh, many Chinese graduate stu- graduating students. Uh, instead of availing themselves of the full OPT experience, uh, if they don't get something immediately, uh, they go back and they're fine because they potentially have better offers uh, in their home country, and that's that's part of the nature of the beast, understanding the markets. But for uh, for how you promote your programs, uh, if you aren't using the language of STEM and, op- and tying that to Uh, to work permission after they're done with degrees. When you think about it, a student that's coming to the United States potentially or looking for a bachelor's degree program in the wider world, if they are potentially looking at STEM-focused degrees, if they're looking at the United States, you are looking at potentially a student coming for a bachelor's degree uh, with the ability to have, if they follow that STEM degree path all the way through their education, not just a bachelor's degree, but a master's and a doctoral degree as well, they could potentially have nine years of paid work experience in their field of study after uh, three years after bachelor's, three years after master's, three years after doctoral degree, if they go that full route of work experience in their program. And in terms of value add to the degree experience, That is an outcome that, if you can document and uh, that of of recent graduates and ability to get uh, jobs in their field of study uh, and in OPT and have OPT employment, uh, that is what will help get you over the line. In a lot of uh, individual cases, you're dealing with a lot certain certain markets more than others. In terms of value, you can add to the overall degree experience and why students should come to your institution so this is a pretty straightforward one but it's a it's one that if you're not paying close attention to can really can really fly by you because you're focusing on we got to talk about our campus we got to talk about our costs we got to talk about scholarships we got to talk about strength of programs all of that's good and she needs to be part of the message but weave into your messaging have a series of messages available to students who are pursuing STEM majors, and you know this by the time they apply, you have an idea of what students are wanting to study, that you can have a focus set of messages or uh, an uh, initial message about what the programs do, something from Career Services that talks about outcomes, something from testimonials from alumni that talk about job experience, you could have potentially three or four messages that speak to the value of outcomes related to their academic program and what that program leads to. Uh, And this is something that outcomes matter for prospective international students and when you answer that 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 concern or that question of how committed your institution is to outcomes, then you are certainly putting yourself in a much better position to eventually enroll that student. So when when you talk about messaging, uh, if you don't have anything right now, it's it's worth sitting down with career services and having have conversation about this about what can, are we tracking our international student outcomes? Can we talk about the services that we provide for international students to help them find the find the work and what the what the trajectory is of students in STEM majors at who graduate from our institution in terms of regular jobs? Even if you don't have domestic, uh, international student specific data, having institution wide data can at least give you something uh, to fall back on as long as you're noting that distinction in your messaging. Uh, so STEM is a no-brainer for me in terms of being close to the top of the list in terms of priorities for how you recruit international students these days. Those, but, and if, once you know, again, know that those programs are highly sought after. Uh, they should be front and center on your, act, on, your, on your website, on your international admissions site, in terms of reasons why international students choose your institution for STEM programs. Uh, that is that is going to be key, and highlighting a few of those in in those messages. So be sure that that's a part of your uh, of your messaging. Be sure that's a part of how you market your institution. Uh, depending on whoever does that, um, hopefully it is. But uh, the, I post the link to this news story, the VOA. News VOA Student Union uh, piece that says STEM jobs lead the list of fastest growing occupations. Uh, This is one of those uh, U.S.-based sites along with U.S. News Education that actively promotes Study International also, that actively promotes uh, the U.S. as a destination with these kind of highlight articles uh, that focus on what's going to draw their attention, international student eyes to this and parents to this is, well, well, here are the jobs that uh, are booming in America right now, why wouldn't we want to send our sons and daughters to the US to study in these fields knowing that that they have this OPT opportunity for three years of work experience after they're done with their program? That's value. And if you can tie your institution to that value, uh, you are putting yourself in a much better position to enroll students from overseas. Yeah, An example of when I say particular markets are hyper-focused on these kind of employment-related issues, outcomes-based issues, uh, I always talk about India, and it's worth mentioning again, uh, the Economic Times of India. uh, That regularly highlights some of the uh, economic policy issues and other things like that that impact uh, Indian student opinion, Indian market opinion. Uh, We look at this past week, we had the U.S. uh, The Economic Times of India posted uh, an article about the U.S. Chambers of Commerce Uh, there, which is, we know, uh, is a network of uh, Chamber of Commerce, local Chamber of Commerce's around the country, uh, Chambers of Commerce uh, that uh, talk about uh, jobs. That's one of their main focus and and economic uh, economic, uh, indicators. And they have launched, the Chambers of Commerce have launched according to the article, and we know this uh, because it's happening in the U.S., launched a massive campaign to address the acute shortage of skilled and professional workforce in America. Uh, And that is uh, what their recommendations uh, to to Congress and to the Biden administration is to double the number of H-1B visas and eliminate the per-country quota for green cars two features that they say will dramatically improve our abilities to, to, for our companies in the United States to recruit and hire the best talent available. So the H-1B obviously we know is a, a logical extension of uh, students that come to the U.S. for degrees, do their OPT, and while they're on OPT, if companies that they're uh, working for like them want to m- maintain them, uh, they are often hired as H-1Bs so on a m- more semi-permanent basis for up to six more years after they're done with their OPT. So that is something currently the um, quota H-1B quota is 65,000 with another 20,000 that have postgraduate degrees, master's or doctoral degrees, is the current uh, platform, and they're advocating for doubling that that quota. So uh, it's an interesting, the chambers of commerce say, uh, the uh, US Chamber of Commerce says, uh, as we stand on the cusp of what could be a great American resurgence, a worker shortage is holding back job creators across the country. And so they are really pushing for that uh, because there, the evidence also shows that U.S. students are not filling those domestic jobs that are available. International students through the H-1B program have filled that gap somewhat, but there's still not uh, enough of those those visas. There are enough students to fill international students to fill them and H-1B applicants to fill them every year, more than enough. But they're not all getting them. It's a lottery system basically right now. Uh, so that is something that I think uh, when the forces align. Uh, and we can see how uh, these business uh, business forces are certainly driving this change. If we have a, a, a sympathetic administration, we, on which we think we do now, w- that would support these changes if those two collide and uh, H-1B is rapidly expanded, uh, then we could see upsurges in even more applications than we already do from certain, certain markets that are very keenly aware of what the benefits of OPT are going to be for their students and then eventually H-1B. So, that's some great, uh, imp- important data to keep in mind as we, as that will support your case for how actively you should be promoting your STEM programs to your prospective international audiences as outcomes based uh, evidence of what your degree can do for them. So, that's the first question. Let's shift gears uh, somewhat to talk about the second question, which is what do students want in India? Uh, Now, we've talked at length uh, in the past and today a little bit about how Indian students are hyper-focused on employment-related concerns related to studying in various destination countries. Now, uh, what our friends at INTED have recently done, they've done a a recent episode uh, or a recent article and material on China on recent trends there and how... Uh, momentum is swinging back in favor of the United States as the primary destination. US and India has long been uh, the the top destination for Indian students and still is Uh, but there's uh, our friends at INTED have said uh, are asking the question are Indian students still interested in pursuing a US higher education and I think the answer to that is very clear yes they are absolutely they are but what we uh, what we see with regard to the market research that they've done in India is also uh, very informative in terms of not only the, we know that India is the second largest uh, source market for international students in the U.S., uh, we know uh, that uh, there are over 200,000 of them uh, that studied in the U.S. in nineteen in 2019-2020 academic year. Uh, that's about a little bit of a decline for year on year from uh, pre-pandemic, but uh, that's that's pre- that's pre-pandemic actually numbers. Uh, but the good news is, it is the U.S. is still the destination of choice, and uh, the the Inted numbers show show that uh, of the students that they've interviewed uh, that were interviewed or took the, took their survey, uh, we had a 13 question survey of almost 20,000 Indian. Uh, students that expressed interest in studying abroad, uh, not just those that were interested in the U.S., but who wanted to study abroad through their, one of their partners, iSchool Connect. Uh, they uh, showed that data showed that 43% favored the United States. Uh, 43% of that uh, of those surveyed. Uh, second place was others. Uh, so others would be other than Canada, U.K., and Germany, which were the second third and fourth place finishers in this survey. Interesting to see Germany that high up on that list. Canada and the UK, certainly not a surprise. Canada, actually, their largest, uh, they're one of the few countries that do not have China as the major uh, source country for their for their international students uh, for Canada it's India right now. India is uh, the uh, number one source market for uh, international students there, uh, but they're in second place, a very distant second place, fully 27% uh, fewer um, fewer students in this survey. From India, were preferring Canada uh, as a destination, with the UK in third. UK has increased their inter- their activity in India uh, because of the po- two-year post-study work. Uh, Germany's come up out, kind of out of the blue there. I'm not sure what's driving that. Uh, But others, you you know, Australia, New Zealand, China are going to be in that mix. But those are three countries that are really kind of out of the mix right now because they're not open to international students, uh, for new international students to enroll. And even returning students can't get back into those countries in any significant numbers, certainly not to China, and only dribs and drabs uh, if they're close to finishing degrees in Australia or New Zealand. So it's really interesting to see, and I think the INTED team makes the distinction for in their data, in the full report, about older students, perhaps uh, older Indian students, maybe looking at graduate level programs, uh, are tending to be a little bit more discerning in their choice and maybe have more options open to them, maybe looking more at Canada or the UK. Um, but overall, the younger Indian market is really laser focused on the US right now. And that's really something that is new. And for, for, it's been uh, kind of a growing trend over the last five, six years, where we've seen a larger percentage, uh, not huge numbers yet, but a larger percentage of Indian undergraduates, uh, kind of that, that group has been gradually increasing year to year uh for our, in the open doors numbers that we certainly see that growth and that's due largely to uh, expanding middle class in india increased frequency of u.s uh, or recruitment based tours to that to that country and uh, frankly like we saw in china in the early 2000s we're now seeing in india certainly not in the uh, probably not going to get to the same waves uh huge waves of indian undergrads but we're certainly seeing a more sustainable group of Indian students coming for undergraduate studies as opposed to graduate studies uh, in increasing numbers. Though they'll they'll still come in graduate numbers. I think that market will rebound well in the coming couple, three years as well. Uh, But for now, it's kind of being uh, Indian interest in the US is, is being driven. Uh, by uh, an un- increasingly an undergraduate trend, so that's it's really encouraging. Uh, kudos to the team at Inted for making us aware of this uh, trend and certainly backing up a general feel we've had. Certainly at SMIE Consulting that India is going to is going to be rebounding well and is going to respond favorably to a lot of what this administration is doing uh, to promote international education uh, to uh, to students around the world and. One I think uh, if for those that uh, are aware, uh, what do Indian students want? Uh, talk about your your outcomes, Talk about your STEM programs, talk about OPT. Uh, talk about those things that uh, will matter to that market. And that's that's part of when you get to the point and sophistication in your uh, international student recruitment efforts where you can do country level recruitment and you can distinguish and dif- differentiate your messaging, by markets, uh, this is certainly one where if you're not including employment-based content and outcomes uh, and OPT and STEM focus majors in that messaging to in the Indian market, you're missing the point because uh, that is really where your focus should be and uh, as a major driving force in, what you're, in the way you can do that. Uh, so that's uh, certainly something we'll talk more, I'm sure, and as we look to uh, talk about country-level marketing more, as I know I'm doing that with uh, some of my uh, university clients right now, is getting them to the point where, they, yes, you can have, you probably have a content there somewhere, but are putting it into, uh, into action, into communication plans, into social media posts, and having that content readily available that you can leverage in your communication with students Uh, prospective student audiences is 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 vital uh, to to really reaching that next level of student recruitment success now our final question of the day how do you get your vaccination policy right this fall well one of the things whatever you do whatever your campus is doing and i know for my international office friends uh, this is oftentimes many layers above you in terms of where those decisions are made but Hopefully, you have at least a, a voice in the conversation on how that gets communicated, because right now uh, there have certainly in the last two or three months we saw. A lot of institutions coming out and saying, yes, we're going to require vaccinations. Some having to backpedal on their initial pitches because they realized, as Rutgers did early on, they were one of the first to say, we're going to require vaccinations. They also had to then step back and say, well, we've got exemptions for this. Well, international students may need to do this. Uh, Certainly other institutions have kind of gotten that as well. And really the challenges with when it comes to vaccination policies is, you can't you can't over communicate enough uh, when it comes to your international audiences and we've i was part of um, a west uh, world education services uh, twitter chat yesterday intel international ed intl ed now uh, was the hashtag so if you want to check that conversation one of the final questions we talked about was vaccination uh, policies at at institutions Uh, we've seen the chronicle as they did last summer with opening statuses of institutions if they were gonna be online or in-person or hybrid. Uh, they've, uh, they're have they again doing that with uh, vaccinations uh, policies and they have maintained for the last couple of months a list of uh, US institutions that are requiring vaccinations against COVID-19 for students and our staff to be physically on campus this fall. And this is something that I think is really uh, important to keep an eye on. Uh, when we saw initially, when uh, the Chronicles started carrying their uh, their the, c- promoting this list or uh, publicizing this list two or three times a week, uh, we would see uh, last year when we've seen the opening status. It, it started big with a lot of uh, campuses being optimistic and thinking they're going to be in person in the fall, and it turned out by the end, the greater majority were either fully online or hybrid, uh, and that uh, certainly uh, is. There was an initial push this year when, uh, after we start, after Rutgers went public saying that they were gonna require vaccinations, there was an initial push over the last couple of months that a lot of colleges jumped on, on board that. And there, there's now only Uh, 544 campuses uh, that are requiring uh, vaccinations. So that's uh, about 12 to 15 percent of all accredited US institutions are requiring vaccinations for their students coming in this fall. That's uh, to study in person now what's important to keep in mind vaccinations as we all know in the u.s has become a politicized issue it's become a legal issue legal issue legal issue in some states uh, where challenges to um, requiring vaccinations Uh, the state legislature in indiana passed a uh, a, a, passed a law that uh, would prevent uh, public institutions from requiring a vaccination uh, documentation of a vaccination, I should say, or vac- a digital passport, a vaccination passport, that type of thing. Uh, but uh, Indiana University has gone ahead with their policy, which they say is in line with the with the state legislature, uh, that uh, that they are still go- they are going to require it for. Uh, students to be in person and if they're not in person then they will still have to wear masks they'll still have to be regularly tested for COVID uh, and practice social distancing so it will be basically the scarlet letter if those students who aren't vaccinated are allowed on campus uh, this is what they would have to do they'd have to uh, fully mask uh, social distance and, uh, and, and and go down uh, have a whole other set of uh, rules that would apply to them uh, because they're not vaccinated, uh, so this is uh, how they're going to require, how they're going to prove that is, is another question that I don't know if we have all the answers to. But the policy from Indiana University is very clear, all and it's it's in bold letters on their on their site. All Indiana University, including IUPUI students, faculty, and staff, will be required to have a COVID-19 vaccine and be fully vaccinated before returning to campus. Uh, and that's part of their campaign to manage the, manage the pandemic. Uh, the requirement is you should plan to have your first dose no later than July 1st, fully vaccinated by August 15th or when you return to campus after first, August 1st, whichever is earlier. Now, and it also says when they're fully vaccinated uh, at two weeks after their second dose. Uh, what it, it does have an exemption in there for international students, and this is, this is important, and this is whatever your policy is, it needs to be communicated loud and clear and more than once and in, on, on your website, in separate email communications, in video content, social media posts. Make sure it's getting out everywhere, that you, your, your prospective students are seeing your content. Because if you're not, you're not going to capture and get it out in front of the, all the people who need to see it. So what is their international piece? And this is where I compliment them because they are being very clear here. Uh, it says students, scholars, and staff of a, of arriving from international locations may not have access to a COVID vaccine in their current location, may not be able to fully vaccinate before arriving on campus this August. So they recognize that, and that's certainly clear, because even though vaccinations are rolling out across the world, they're not rolling out to the extent that they are here in the U.S. and most countries, as uh, uh, and other other Western countries or China, that's already delivered over a billion doses of the vaccine, uh, not only not all of which are WHO approved, but that's a, or FDA approved, certainly that's a whole other issue. Uh, but what they're saying is individuals in this, situa- in this situation should let us know they cannot meet the August 15th deadline and should plan to receive a vaccine as soon as possible upon their arrival in the U.S. They can continue to participate in orientation classes and other activities as they work toward becoming fully vaccinated. All right, and what they, they do make the point here COVID 19 vaccines authorized by the FDA and recommended by the WHO will meet IU requirements. Okay, so that does open the door a bit beyond the three that are approved for US in the US for emergency use. The WHO has had uh, at least eight, maybe nine or ten now that is on that list. So they are those vaccines are WHO or FDA approved are acceptable for IU. They're making that clear. Uh, so that's um, they they, and they also say if you choose not to meet the requirement, Uh, It says, IU has outlined strong consequences for those who choose not to meet the COVID vaccine requirement and do not receive exemption. Everyone is strongly encouraged to get the vaccine as soon as possible, not only for your own health and safety, but for those around you as well. Uh, For students, they will see their class registration canceled. Uh, Crimson Card access terminated, access to IU systems terminated and will not be allowed to participate in any on-campus activity. So faculty and staff who choose not to meet the requirement will no longer be able to be employed. Working remotely and not meeting the COVID-19 vaccine requirement is not an option. So. that's a pretty significant, uh, so it's not it's not they're going to have a scarlet letter. I'm sorry, I apologize for that earlier. They're actually not going to be allowed to, to be students if they choose not to meet those requirements. Uh, so what's, uh, what they do have some exemptions that are posted here. Religious exemption. Uh, uh, medical exemptions for, with documentation from your provider of an allergy to COVID vaccines or their components, or medical deferrals for the following circumstances with a note from your provider, uh, pregnancy, actively breastfeeding uh, that, uh, that only lasts for the duration of your breastfeeding or pregnancy, uh, immunocompromised individuals only with provider request for an exemption, and only those who have recent um, or, and/or and only those for the who have recent hempia had organ transplants or active treatments with a particular drug. So um, there are online programs or students who are 100% online are also exempt or, and don't have an on-campus component. So this is this is really important here in terms of communicating. This is a pretty clear policy. I won't say it's the most uh, sympathetic policy or one that uh, represents uh, 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 kind of uh, certainly even-handedness. Uh, certainly it's, it has very significant consequences if you choose not to pursue it. And that's actually led to lawsuits uh, or at least one lawsuit where eight students, IU students, are fighting the, po- the policy because uh, they they're, they do not want to get a vaccination. They don't fit the medical or religious exemption requirements. Uh, so this is something that uh, will, will be resolved in court as to whether you can be that uh, forceful in terms of requiring... Uh, but certainly the greater majority of US colleges are not going down the mandatory requirements for vaccinations. So uh, we'll see how this all shakes out by the fall and whether the numbers we're seeing now, which have slowed down dramatically, it was a pretty steady pace of uh, of growth in number of colleges that were requiring it for the last few months. But within the last three weeks, it slowed to just a handful each week. So I think many college in some states colleges are being prevented from making it mandatory. We saw that with the CUNY and SUNY schools. They're not able to do that until. Uh, one or more uh, of the vaccines become uh, approved for regular use, not just emergency use. Similarly, we've seen that in Oregon, uh, Eastern Oregon University, there was another story in the newsletter that is actually saying the same thing. Until one, of, once one of the vaccines is approved for regular use, then that's gonna be the one or, one or more uh, that would be required for students, but only after that becomes uh, approved for regular use. So some interesting policy differentiations, but key is, be clear in how you communicate that on all levels to to your international audiences, uh, and it, it is it, this. What this IU policy doesn't address is if uh, if uh, assuming that a vaccination that is available, like from China, uh, Sinopharm is approved on the WHO list, but Sinovac isn't. Uh, if a Chinese student has had the Sinovac, well, they don't have something in this in this report or in this uh, policy that uh, necessarily. Uh, addresses them. So we'll see what happens uh, that uh, uh, there's actually a report form that is required. How to report your COVID vaccine is important Uh, and that is something uh, that uh, for international students will be uh, something that will be they'll need to need to show. So a lot of interesting uh, cases coming up around the country as to what this will involve. And we'll certainly keep you posted on these and other changes in the newsletter and here on the Midweek Roundup. So until next time, we wish you the very best and a happy new fiscal year starting tomorrow. Cheers.